Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. We are sarcastic in, uh, in England. That is very true. It's a kind of way we prove we love each other. Um, it's great to be with you guys here. It's an absolute joy. As, uh, as Brian said, I'm here with my wife, Hannah. She was in the first meeting and then didn't want to listen again. Um, and so she disappeared off to hang out with kids. I mean, I could say that's more appropriate for her age and everything, but she's not in the room, so that wouldn't be appropriate. Thank you very much, Larry. Um, uh, we, we bring you a joy, a joy. Greetings from, from South East London. Uh, I lead the team at New Community Church and have done um, for about eight so years, since I was about 12. And um, we're part of the New Ground family of churches. Uh, we, we are committed to planting churches, as Brian said. From my own church, New Community, we're, like you guys, are a, a multi-location, multi-venue church. We're a pretty diverse church. We've got sort of 50-plus different nations represented in our church. We are very intergenerational as well, the whole kind of from very little to very old, and, and I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. And uh, we've planted before, and we... Want to plant again? We planted a church uh, in The Hague a few years ago, a guy called Chris Taylor, who I think was here with you last year. And from there, they've planted into Maastricht and Brussels and Berlin and Delft and now planting into Rotterdam. So we're claiming all of those church plants as our own as well. And uh, we've left our three kids and our dog at home to be with you. And whenever we travel together, Han always misses our kids. We've got Ethan, who's 13, and Phoebe, who's 11, and Daniel, who is nine. Han always misses them, and I miss the dog. Um, I say she has a bit of a joke. She also misses the dog. And <laughs> we are gonna be in Acts chapter 11 uh, in a moment. As you find your way there, I'm just making a few assumptions. Assumption number one is that you can understand me I am British, so I speak properly, but um, I'm also from the north of England, and we don't speak like the king there, uh, so I, uh, I hope the accent is okay with you. You have an accent, and I have an accent, and the king is the one who speaks properly, apparently. Uh, second assumption, uh, more importantly, perhaps, is the um, assumption that we desire individually, if we're believers, and collectively, as a church, to really be shaped by the Word of God. And the reality is there are only two influences in your life. There is the Word of God and there is the world within which we live. And if you're not actively being shaped by one, if you're not actively being shaped by the Word, you will be shaped by the world. You, you can't, there's no kind of debate around it, you will be. And, uh, and, and my third assumption really is that we are a people who are responsive to the Spirit of God. And I just want to pray real quick. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your word, which brings life. And thank you for your spirit, that you are alive and well and you're speaking to us. And I just pray in these next few moments, would you take my words and speak the word into the hearts and minds of those who know you and love you. And may we be a responsive people to what you have for us today, to be led by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we turn to Acts 11, I, I was given kind of free reign to uh, preach on whatever I wanted to, and I, I felt uh, compelled really to, to come and preach from this passage. 
Um, partly, you wouldn't know this because we've only just met, but uh, this church, Brian referenced it a moment ago, uh, this church has kind of uh, really shaped significantly my own personal life, my and Hannah, and our ministry and our church. You wouldn't kind of know that, but we've known Brian and Rachel and, and, and John and Linda Lamferman for a long, long time, and they have influenced us and encouraged us. And I, and I just want to encourage you, you have a rich heritage here. You uh, might have been around for a long time or not for a very short time, but you have a rich heritage here. just want to honor you as a church and encourage you that what you do here and how you do it has an influence way beyond the boundaries of your city. You might not appreciate that. You might not know that, but I just want to tell you it is true. You are uh, Brian's letter of recommendation, if you like, as he travels and had John before, but you... You have a significant influence in the wider scene, and I want to thank you for that. And I also want to just say that I really believe God would want to exhort you and encourage you as a people, as a church, that your days of impact and influence are significantly greater in the future than they have been in the past that your better days are ahead of you. It's not to speak ill of the past in any way, but I believe that God has significant things for you in this local church. So let's get into Acts chapter 11 and the story of the church in Antioch. And actually the beginning of the story of the church in Antioch doesn't start at the beginning of the book of Acts. It actually starts right at the beginning of the whole book. Genesis chapter one, God's first words to mankind Nothing to do with fruit and trees and snakes and anything like that. His first words were, be fruitful and multiply. He's immediately mankind before anything else is given a, a purpose, a mandate, a mission, if you like. Fast forward the story to Genesis chapter 12. Don't worry, we'll go a bit quicker than this as we go. We'll be here all day otherwise. God chooses Abraham, Genesis 12, to be the beginning of a new family of God's people so that from his family, all families of the earth will be blessed. Again, a purpose, a mandate, a a mission. You see, right from the beginning, this is so important to understand, right from the beginning, God has been about gathering for himself a people from every tribe, every tongue, every creed, every race, every culture, all gathered together into one family. And that purpose or that mission is the lens through which we understand the rest of the biblical story. This is what God has always been about, gathering a people. What a privilege it is to be, we sang it earlier, to be adopted, to be in the family, in the people of God. But with privilege comes purpose. And throughout the Old Testament, Israel's role was to be a light to the nations, to live their lives in such a way that the surrounding nations would see the true and living God and be attracted to their lives and thus attractive to their God. And as you read the story, you realize they were never particularly brilliant at it. Oftentimes, they didn't even try. But God is unbelievably faithful to his plans and his purposes. What God says always comes to pass. He never holds out and he is always faithful even when we are faithless. And his prophets prophesy that God will send a servant to be the light of the nations and enter Jesus Christ. And Jesus calls to himself men and women from different backgrounds and he adds them into his family. And by his death and his resurrection, he's the one who has made a way now for anyone and everyone to be restored back to God and to one another 
in family. And right before his ascension, right before Jesus returns to heaven, he says to his disciples, this is your job now. That which God has been about from the very beginning, go and multiply. Jesus says the same thing. Go and make disciples. Right at the end, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. It's always been about adding people from the nations, from all nations, into the family of God. And Acts tells the story of how the people of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, continue the work of Jesus, taking the gospel from Jerusalem to to Judea, to Samaria, and ultimately the ends of the earth, to far off places like London and St. Louis. And aren't you very, very glad that those early disciples took seriously the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit, gave themselves to the mission of God? That's why you're here. See, it's from those early days we see the pattern is set. The gospel came to you because it's on its way to someone else. You are not the end of the chain. You are merely a link in the chain. The gospel has come to you on its way to others. You and I get to play our part in this story. So let's pick it up in verse 19 of Acts chapter 11. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Now, Antioch was this major um, cosmopolitan kind of center that was predominantly Gentile and pagan, but it also had quite a large Jewish population within the city. So it wouldn't have been difficult for these believers to speak the word to Jews. Remember, they were also Jews. They'd kind of moved from Jerusalem. And it's kind of natural, right? You People tend to hang out. I certainly do in my country. I'm not so sure. I guess it's the same in yours. People tend to hang out with people from the same cultural and ethnic background. I'm not saying exclusively, but particularly if you're new in a city, you tend to find people who are like you. And, and that's who you kind of naturally speak to. That's what was happening here. But significantly, look what happens next. Verse 20. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Something new is emerging. They were not just content with uh, just speaking and sharing the gospel with like-minded people from the same cultural background. Men of Cyprus and Cyrene, by the way, I I love the fact that they're not even named. These are just normal, zealous carriers of the message committed to sharing the gospel in everyday contexts. It wasn't about meetings and platforms, but about normal life. And these guys, they break through a major cultural barrier. This is the beginning of cross-cultural intentional mission. Remember the biblical stories from just a few moments ago. It's for all families, not just Jews, but Gentiles too. And this is kind of the moment, the key moment where that's really beginning to happen. They're bursting out of just speaking to people like them and crossing cultures and speaking to a people who are different from them. Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. The guys back in Jerusalem where it kind of all started at Acts 1, they needed to be assured of what was going on because this was radically different from what had happened so far. And they kind of got report that all these different people were coming in. They're like, whoa, 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 what is happening? Is it legitimate? Is this in keeping with the Spirit of God? 
So the end of verse 22, they sent Barnabas to Antioch to go check it out. And verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now, by this stage, he kind of needs some help. This church is now growing. This is a growing context. There's lots of people. He needs some help. So he goes to find Paul, and that's kind of like the beginning of this uh, gospel partnership that actually lasts for years and years. Verse 26, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Let's pause there. This is, I, I believe, really quite significant and important for the way we do discipleship. You see, here we see a healthy pattern of discipleship. Barnabas sees the evidence of the grace of God in the lives of the believers. There's something tangible that he can see, and he encourages them to continue doing what they were doing, being faithful to the Lord, being committed, being steadfast in their purpose. Think back to the beginning of Acts. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. That's the purpose. And it resulted in being st- them being steadfast to the purposes of God resulted in a great many people being added. Here's the thing. Healthy discipleship always results in turning outwards, not inwards. You see, they, they, they teach and they were taught for a whole year. And as a consequence of being shaped by the word of God, of, of taking on board everything that is in the scriptures, they change. And they, the impact it makes in their own lives is so profound that people notice Healthy discipleship results in fruit. It was outsiders who, were, who first called them Christians, literally little Christs, because they recognized them as being significantly different from everybody else in the world around them, shaped by the Word of God. When we're taught not just head knowledge, it results in transformation of who we are and how we are and how we live, and it is tangibly noticeable to others around us. Healthy discipleship always results in turning outwards, not inwards. Our discipleship has a purpose, to be conformed into the image of Christ in order to transform the world around us. Verse 27. Now in those days, these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas. You know, this community, this church at Antioch were not just a word people, they were a spirit people as well. Not just open to the prophetic, but responsive to it. Not just, hey, there's a prophetic word, oh, that's nice, that's encouraging, That's good for someone else. No, no, no. They hear the prophetic and they respond to it. This prophetic word came 
And they gave generously as a result. They didn't just go, oh, that's sad for them. Oh, well, we're okay. No, no, no. This, this is for purpose. This prof- prophecy is for purpose to result in action, to result in change, to result in us pressing in more and more to the things of God. And that's literally what happened. They gave generously as a result. See, this is a church that cared about things beyond them. They gave financially. Everyone, it says here, according to his ability, to something that they would never personally benefit from. It's quite easy to give to something that you get back from, right? It's quite easy to go, well, I put this in and I know that this comes back to me. But when we give biblically, we are giving, we know that God blesses us, but we are giving to something oftentimes that we are never personally going to benefit from. This was a generous church. Let's skip over to verse 13, bubbling away in the background of Acts 12. This church at Antioch is growing nicely. But under the direction of the Holy Spirit, things begin to explode in Acts 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Now got a whole team leading here. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. We see here this multiracial, multicultural church. It's got Jews and it's got Gentiles in it. And it has a leadership team that reflects the makeup of the church in terms of its diversity. We have Barnabas, who is a Cypriot Jew, a bicultural Jew. We have Simeon, called Niger, just means black. This man was a black African. And we have Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene was, is, was in North Africa, so that's more like what we perhaps today would call Arabic. We had Manian, who we don't know much about, other than the fact he was brought up with Herod, which means he would what in the UK, in my context, we would describe as upper class. I don't know if that still translates. Uh, People like me from the north would just say someone a bit posh. Uh, And then we have Saul. And if you are someone in that, I didn't wish to be rude. We have Saul, who was not only Jewish, but essentially also a professor, a bit of an academic. So we have the first multi-ethnic, multinational, multi-class Christian church in all of history. Remember the big story of God. God gathering for himself a people from every tribe and every tongue. Right at the end, Revelation, that in-gathering is complete. It's done. There are people, a great multitude that no one can number from every, every, every thing. Class, creed, culture, color, race, the whole thing is all there. And you know what? The church today in the present is supposed to be a prophetic representation, a prophetic statement of what is to come. People are supposed to look at us and whether they realize it or not, they see something of what eternally shall always be. And we can't do it perfectly. None of us can. But as imperfectly as we can, we give ourselves increasingly to looking like what one day we shall be in glory. We are a prophetic statement of what is to come. And we see that here in this church. We see it represented in the leadership. We see it represented in the church. But we also see here an emphasis on team leadership. It's not the pastor, but the elders. There's a team. A team in all things. That's thoroughly biblical, thoroughly New Testament church. Team in all things. There is only one superstar senior pastor, and his name is Jesus Christ. And we don't need any more team. Let's carry on. Verse 2, Acts 13. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on and they sent them off. 
And if we had time, we'd look through the rest of the story because this is the moment where the gospel begins to go and things really just take off far beyond Antioch. Over the next few chapters, we see Paul and Barnabas traveling out and planting here and then coming back and then going again and strengthening there. Whatever else we describe Antioch, it is quite clearly a kind of apostolic-based church from here to there and strengthening and planting and back again and in and out. And the gospel ends up in Philippi and Thessalonica and Athens and Corinth and Ephesus. And by the end of Acts 28, as far away as Rome, Paul is found. In just 30 years, the gospel makes incredible progress right around the known world. Can one local church be used for the spread of the gospel among all nations? From Antioch, one local church right around the known world. And this was a church that was used significantly by God for his glory and for the sake of the lost. Jubilee, can one local church be used for the spread of the gospel among the nations? For the glory of God and for the sake of the lost. You know, we see here in Antioch the priorities of a church that was, and we see the priorities for any church subsequently that wants to be. It's a church shaped by the Word of God and led by the Spirit of God. I said earlier, if we're not shaped by the Word, we will be shaped by the world. In my context in the UK, we are, we're a bit ahead of you, I think. We are now most definitely a post-Christian nation. Any idea that we are a Christian nation is not true. There's no concept of original sin. There's no understanding of kind of Christian ethics or morality or any of that kind of stuff. We are well and truly post-Christian. I, I kind of get the impression that you guys are not so far behind us on that front. But you know where the darkness is? Actually, there's nothing to be afraid because where darkness is, light shines a heck of a lot brighter. Doesn't take much light to expel darkness. The darker it shines, the darker it is, the more glorious the light of the church shines. But it only shines when we are shaped by and rooted in the word of God. That's the big battleground in my context right now among Christians. Are we going to believe the word or are we not? And it's not the starting point. Let's have a discussion about that. No, 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 no. It's the first and last word on all things. Let's submit and surrender to it. Shaped by the word, led by the spirit. And it's these two things in tandem that direct and give shape to how we as local churches fulfill the plans and purposes of God in our generation as those believers in Antioch did. Because we see there, as I believe by the grace of God, I see here too in this church, a church fueled by authentic worship and prayer who simultaneously carries both a big global vision of reaching the nations of the world and a commitment to engaging locally for the sake of the lost. You see, the dreams and the visions of this church, this local church here, is rooted, are rooted in apostolic conviction. That's the blueprint of what we are convinced God has said to his church in the word of God and in prophetic promises, the specific things of what you believe God has spoken over you as a church. And just as Barnabas in Acts 11 verse 23 came and he says it saw the grace of God and he was glad and he exhorted them and encouraged them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, I want to do the same to you here today. I want to encourage you and exhort you to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. 
I absolutely love the way you guys describe your mission here. I love the whole, a life, come and find a life full of purpose. It's really possible. I love that stuff because in Christ, it is possible. Outside of Christ, it's just an illusion. It's not possible. But when you submit and surrender your life to Christ, you find meaning and fulfillment and purpose. Jesus came, I've said, I've come to give them life and life to the full. Why is it to the full? Because it's a life that lasts forever. It's a life here and now and for all eternity to the full. That's where you find your purpose. It's where you find your meaning and your heart will ever be restless until it looks and finds it in Christ and in Christ alone. And I love the way you describe community on a mission, engaging locally through things like the backpack drives and Christmas store and beautifying your neighborhoods through your community groups. Remain faithful, remain steadfast, keep going. I love also how you as a church connect globally serving our wider family of churches that we're part of across the globe in places like Turkey and Armenia, your financial generosity, giving where there's need to something you're never really ever likely to receive back from directly, literally doing what the church in Antioch did. I want to encourage you and exhort you to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose in these things. But I also want to just kind of humbly and gently come and just give you a little push. Maybe not so gently, I don't know. I want to come and provoke you and say, hey, look, as a people shaped by the Word, led by the Spirit, I just want to encourage you and exhort you to press in more to this global and local thing. Leslie, a guy called Leslie Newbigin, he's dead now. Uh, he was a British um, pastor and theologian, and he has this phrase, think global, act local, all the while keeping your eyes fixed on the one who died that all might live. And I want to encourage you to do the same. Think global in your thoughts, act local, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You see, thinking global, you think, whoa, whoa. but no, 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 it's thoroughly shaped by the word and led by the spirit to think big, think nations, think global, because the size of what you and I are caught up in is huge. We are partakers, not passive spectators, but active participants in the most exciting thing going on in the planet right now, the ingathering of the elect from every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every people group and every class and every creed and every color. And this leads us to carrying a vision that is of huge proportions. Matthew 9, the harvest is plentiful. Isaiah 9, the increase of, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Isaiah 49, the commission is to take the gospel to far off islands and distant shores. And that chapter ends with saying, any other vision is too small a thing. How big's your vision, Jubilee? How big do you carry? Our commission is to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses to, yes, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Jubilee, there is a global call on you because you are caught up in the global mission of a global God. The church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church and you and I are part of that. It's really not up to us to determine the size and scale of the mission. It's already been done for us. Our decision is whether we're gonna believe it. Are you gonna be shaped by the word? And whether we're gonna participate, are you gonna be led by the spirit? And when we are those two things, it results in movement. 
It results in some of us going. Some will go from this place to the nations of the world. It results in some of us going to be part of church plants in in different parts domestically across the United States. And it will result in lots of us staying here locally, but being fully engaged. And whether you go or whether you stay, we are all sent. Every single one of us is sent by ascending God into the places where we live, work and play. We are all involved, not as spectators, but as participants. I love sports. One of the big things I love doing, watching and playing when I was a bit younger. I don't know if you're into sports or not, but I just want to imagine for a, mo- imagine for a moment you are a Cardinals fan or you're a Blues fan, not so good yesterday, or a City fan or a Battlehawks fan. I don't know if any of those are in the house. It's cool watching, right? It's great watching on TV. It's better watching live, but the real action is not in the stands. It's on the pitch or in the rink. And I just want you to imagine for a moment, you're sitting in the stands, doing what Americans do, eating your hot dogs, and, and you're, I, I've never been, I don't know, but it seems to me that's the stereotype you guys do. You eat hot dogs and corn dogs, which is even weirder. <laughs> Why would you want to eat corn? And then, I know that's not a thing. And then those massive jumbo drinks that you seem to have here, right? Sitting, I just want you to imagine you're sitting watching the Cardinals or whoever else, and the coach suddenly turns around and says, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Dude, put, put your hot dog down. Finish that drink. Come on down here. I want you in the game. You're like, oh, me? Yeah, no, 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 come down. Put the hot dog down. Come on, get in the game. Go. And he chucks you into play. And he isn't just chucking you in as a, into professional sports as you are, but somehow, by some supernatural means, he equips you with the skill of the greatest player who's ever played, like Stan Musial or someone like that for the Cardinals. Or if you're an MLS fan, you're suddenly like as good as Lionel Messi. Now you're in the game. And not only are you in the game, but you're equipped to play the game and to play the game well. Just let's step back into Scripture for a moment. Strategy-wise, the ascension of Jesus back to heaven out of the game seems absurd. Like Jesus is walking the earth. He's fulfilling the mission to rescue and redeem, to seek and save the lost, to heal, to restore, to renew. And then he says to his disciples and his followers, by the way, guys, I'm out now and you're up and you're in. What? He says, but don't worry because I'm sending the helper. I'm sending the spirit. And he says, do you know what? Even more mad from my earthly perspective, it's better for me to go so that then the helper can come. It's better for I, me to go so that then the spirit comes and then you, my followers, can continue the works that I've started. You're in. You know, brothers and sisters, being a Christian is not just about getting your son, your sins forgiven and getting a ticket to heaven. It's about being saved and rescued and restored and then sent out on mission to partner with Jesus in the renewal of all things and the ingathering of people from every corner of the globe. And what it looks like to partner with Jesus by the Spirit on a mission, of course, looks different for each of us, but it starts with a conviction that God wants to use you. You know, that God wants to use you, not just people who have got it all together, in our brokenness and in our weakness, God wants to use us. And the story of the early church is not a story of superstars and elites, but of just normal everyday people like us. Acts 11 verse 20 just describes them as thems, just says them, not even named, just them. If I, I know some of your names. I know most, don't know most of your names. To me, you're just a them, but to God, you're known and you're used and you're called by name for purpose and you're sent out. 
sent out as normal everyday Christians and believers. The real action in Christianity is not here on a platform. It's out there in the places where you live, work and play Monday through Saturday. And you know, we're sent not in our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to empower us to be witnesses. Jesus literally said, wait for the Holy Spirit. In other words, why wait for the Holy Spirit to come? Because if you go in your own strength, it ain't gonna work. But go in the power of the Spirit and every, look at the difference between those believers in Acts 1 and Acts 2 and onwards. They are transformed by the power of the Spirit. We have a tendency to think that the Spirit is primarily about what happens in here in meetings. And obviously there's an extent of that that's true, but the primary purpose of the Spirit is to equip us to fulfill the plans and purposes of God in our time, in our context, our generation. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to take an extra five minutes now. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is building his church. Amen? He's building his church. But Jesus is not building a meeting we attend. He's breathing life into a body of which we're part. We are living stones. The dwelling place of God by his spirit being built together into the people of God, the body of Christ, making the invisible Christ visible to our communities. And that promise of Jesus in Acts 1 is that you will receive power You will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is the place where you live, and all of Judea, which is the kind of surrounding St. Louis metropolis, and then to Samaria, which is like the neighboring places of like Illinois and Tennessee and Iowa, and I'm done, And, and to the ends of the earth. That's what we're part of. It's not my, or it's possible, or for some of you, no, 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 each of you, you will receive power. But listen, this is the key thing, it's in the going out that power comes. You know the promise that Jesus says, I will be with you always till the end of the age? That is in the context of going and making disciples of all nations. As you go, power comes. As you go, Jesus is with you. And what does that do to a person? What does that do to a person to know that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who holds the keys of life and death and everything in between is with you always? Changes you, right? Changes the way you walk, the way you think, the way you act. Changes what you go for because you know that if God is with you, who can be against you? It causes you to lift your eyes a little bit. causes you to carry with you a vision that is bigger than what you can see. Oh, that we'd be like Caleb's and Joshua's the band want to come back. Oh, that we would be a people, not like the other spies into the land who saw the giants and said, it's impossible. No, no, no. These are men of faith who see with eyes of faith and saying, you know what? If God is with us, all things are possible. Let's go. Oh, that we'd be like those Antioch believers, the spirit of adventure, taking some, trying something new for the sake of the gospel, not just sticking to what is comfortable and what we know, but intentionally reaching out to people who are different from us. How's your faith? How's your faith? What exploits and new things is God calling you to individually? Perhaps with your community group or corporately as a church. Oh, that be, we'd be like Jonathan in 1 Samuel 14 to his armor bearer. Hey, come, let us take that garrison for it may be. It's not even a promise that God definitely is. It may be that God's with us. Let's go. Oh, to be people of faith like that. Or like Jonathan's armor bearer in response. Hey, let's do all that's in your heart. I'm with you heart and soul. When someone says, should we go for this? Should we try it? And you're like, 
If you've got faith, I'm with you, heart and soul. Let's go for it. What's the worst that can happen? I say that to my church all the time. Like, what's the worst that can happen when you're filled with the Spirit of God, based on the Word of God, stepping out in faith? What's the worst that can happen? And there's people occasionally kind of, oh, we could look a bit stupid. Or What matters most now is what will matter most in 10,000 years' time. And in 10,000 years' time, you ain't going to care one hoot about looking a bit stupid. In 10,000 years' time, you ain't going to regret anything that you have done poured out for the kingdom of God. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Would you stir in our heart a passion for your name? Jesus is building his church. He's using you. And when a church is fully committed to the word, led by the Spirit, when it's fueled by worship and prayer, when it lives with a global vision and acts locally, being living sent intentional mission, great kingdom advance happens to the glory of God for the good of us and the sake of the lost. Oh, Jesus, would you come now by your Spirit and minister to our hearts, cause us to lift our eyes, cause us to be men and women of faith, cause us to be men and women of courage, cause us to be men and women of boldness, living our lives based on the Word of God, led by the Spirit of God for the sake of the lost and for the sake of your glory. Can we stand? Spirit of God, come minister to us, call us out, lift our heads, change our gaze, build our faith for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.